it's a tricky conversation mm-hmm. because by the nature of this species, this money, it is very easy to go down a crazy road. <laughs> Definitely. You know Definitely. what I mean? And and I wanted to have a very serious conversation about it kind of with that in mind, because I do worry even about how I think about it. I don't want to have the crazy thoughts when I'm talking about this or thinking about this. I want to, I want to look at it in an unemotional way so that I can make decisions as to whether or not this is something I might be curious about having in a portfolio, if you will. I almost think that it's a fun, crazy thing to be involved in just to see how it is. But at the same time, I think about it also like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And so maybe, you know, you dabble and then you just keep it to yourself. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a bad idea. All right. I've certainly felt strange at times um, knowing what I know and being a little bit invested in it too. Right. Um, Simply because can I tell you a funny story? And it's up to you whether you Please. include it in the podcast. No, no, I totally I will. Recently, <laughs> I was recently in San Diego on vacation. My girlfriend and I went out to California. We went out one night with with a few friends and we come back and we were, we were staying at their place. And, you know, we got back at maybe 2 a.m. And then, you know, we were upstairs kind of getting ready for bed. My toothbrush is in my mouth. And I hear people talking downstairs, like loudly, people loudly talking. And what had happened was our host had invited some of his buddies over and he's like, yeah, you know, these guys are out kind of, they're going pretty hard tonight. They just asked me if they could come over. I'm not, I'm not sure if I should let them come over, but okay, I'll, I'll let them come over. So these four guys show up at the house at like two 30, they are in a fun mood. They're still, <laughs> they're still partying. And what are they talking about? They're talking about Doge. And they're talking about Bitcoin and they're talking about Shiba Inu. They're talking about like these random altcoins that we were talking about before loudly. And they're arguing about them and and saying how stupid it is to be invested in that, but how smart it is to be invested in this. And I walked downstairs because I thought like, oh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll chat with these guys about Bitcoin. And what I realized is it's really hard to sound like, you know, what you're talking about when you're talking about cryptocurrency, like 99% of the people including five for five of the guys in that conversation <laughs> sounded like idiots <laughs> sounded just uninformed and sounded like they just sounded like too much like zealots. It was too emotional. They didn't really have their facts straight. It was all subjective feelings. It was very little objective facts. And so I think going back to what you said, Michelle, like it is really important to try to have objective conversations about this if we plan on taking it seriously, mm. but it's just hard to do right now. system but are afraid of accidentally losing your cash cube money is a digital envelope app that is fdic insured and uses a debit card that's paired with the app for the past five months i've tested out cube money and have become a huge fan of this app if you're trying to keep your money organized cube money is a great tool to use by the way i am an affiliate so i do want to disclose that if you're like me you might be wondering what in the hell is cryptocurrency And could someone please decode some of this for me? Today, we're going to have a conversation with someone who knows something about Bitcoin in particular. But as I was preparing for this conversation, I'm going to be honest, I did think about the fact that money is just just this weird, abstract thing. Think about it. Money is paper and metal. Why is it that we place a value on it Just like credit cards, credit cards one day arrived in San Diego, no, San Francisco. It was basically called the, I think the master drop or some kind of, there was a name for it. One day 
50,000 families had this plastic square that was sent out to them and told that they could use it to spend on a thing. I feel like crypto is like that, but next level. And so today's guest is going to kind of help decode what crypto is, Bitcoin in particular. And I was really excited that he answered my call for help because I specifically said, don't be a douche. And I know he's not one. So if you could introduce yourself, who you are and what you do, that would be awesome. Hey, Michelle, thank you for having me on. My name is Jesse Kramer. I'm an engineer by day, but I write by night at The Best Interest, which is a blog and, and now a podcast and a full-fledged website where I talk about a lot of the same things you talk about, financial literacy, personal finance, investing. And here's a trivia question for you, Michelle. Oh my or maybe God. just It's not really a question. It's more of just an answer. But my nickname in high school was actually not a douche. So this is perfect. <laughs> You know what? I feel really good about this. <laughs> you guys were in good hands. <laughs> if you could do me a favor, we're going to talk about all things Bitcoin. Share how you got into Bitcoin and what was it about this, this idea of crypto that was so intriguing to you? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you the full story. And, and maybe even before I start, I would like to couch it with the, the story, with the idea that... Um, I don't consider myself to be this huge Bitcoin bull. And maybe right now, some of the listeners have some reservations. They really want me to prove it. So I'll give you my timeline. I first heard about Bitcoin on a beach in Miami in 2017. And I oh. know already everybody's like, get, get out <laughs> of here, Jesse. Messy. What are you talking Right, right, right. Of course you did. What were you on when you heard about it? You know, no, but that's, it's, it's funny because I, I had heard about it, of course, in the news. But the first time someone really... It was, I was hanging out with one of my friends, longtime friend, and he's the first person who really looked me in the eye and said like, Hey man, this thing could be big. And that was about six months before the first quote unquote bull run of Bitcoin back then when it kind of hit $20,000. And a lot of people were thinking this was, you know, the next big thing. It kind of got traction in the mainstream media, but then it, that bubble burst kind of bubble inflated that bubble burst, but then Fast forward a couple years, and a few of my friends were still heavily invested in cryptocurrencies. I was not. I, I didn't really understand it. And I'm from the investing mindset that you invest in what you know. 98% of my money to this day is in simple index funds. But around the end of 2020, a lot of the news around Bitcoin was starting to swirl up again. Some of my readers on the best interest were asking me about Bitcoin and what my thoughts were. So I basically spent Christmas break devouring as much content as I could about Bitcoin to the point where I felt really comfortable writing a simple breakdown, you know, explain Bitcoin in simple terms on my blog. It started short. It ended up at about 7,000 words, which may oh or may not God. be a good thing, <laughs> may or may not be a good thing. <laughs> That's like a mini book on Amazon. That's well, like, it, it yeah. is. It is. And it's unfortunate, Michelle. <laughs> One of the things I've learned about Bitcoin is if I were to say to you, you know, can you explain quantum physics in simple terms? Oh, a, a physicist might be like, I can try, but some of it is so weird and that it's hard to really simplify. Or if I am going to simplify it, it's not going to be two minutes long. You know, it's going to take yeah. half an hour to explain it. You'll get it by the end, but it's, it, it can be either simple or short. It can't be both. And I feel like with Bitcoin, there's a bit of that going on. So I think by the end of this conversation, I think everybody will have a good understanding of how Bitcoin works, but it might take us half an hour to talk through. That's fine. We've got the yeah. time. So what the hell is it? Like, what the hell is Bitcoin? Yeah. Bitcoin is a software program. Let's start with that. And that software program maintains a spreadsheet or a ledger is what they really call it. Uh, that ledger, I guess that's not really, really call it. It's the blockchain. Okay. Let me pause for a second. Cause already some people are probably thinking like, I don't get it. I don't get it. Think about your bank and your bank account, your bank, the bank of Denver, let's say, I don't know if it exists, but the bank of Denver, they have a spreadsheet somewhere more or less. You can think about it in that simplified term. And on that spreadsheet, there's a row for Michelle and Michelle's row says, here's her first name and here's her last name. And here's her address. And here's how much money Michelle has in our bank. And they have a row for every single member of the bank. 
the Bitcoin software does something similar. They have a, a row in the blockchain for everybody who has an account, a Bitcoin account, and we'll explain those accounts later on. And what the software does is it tracks, here's how many Bitcoin Jesse has, here's how many Michelle has, here's how many Jim has. And it also tracks all the transactions and says, oh, back in 2017, Michelle sent one Bitcoin to Jim. So we deducted one from her account. We added one to Jim's account. Boom, done. So at the end of the day, that's really what Bitcoin is. It's tracking this currency, which is called Bitcoin, on this really complicated spreadsheet, which is called the blockchain. I thought the blockchain was that thing that people spend a lot of electricity maintaining. Am I crazy? Nope, nope. You, you are absolutely correct. You are correct. So the maintenance, the way the blockchain works is um, every time you want to add new data onto the end of the chain. So, so the spreadsheet right now is in some current form and we want to add new rows to it. And the new row, it gets added because I just gave some Bitcoin to Michelle. So now we want to add that onto the spreadsheet and we need to say, oh, we need to adjust Jesse's account. We need to adjust Michelle's account. We need to make sure everything is uh, reconciled. That portion of adding things on to the end of the chain, adding on new blocks, that's where the energy is spent. Oh. And, and there's a reason why energy gets spent there. And we can dive right into it if you want to. Um, I want to dive into it on a very surface level so that yeah. we don't freak people out. Like myself. I understand. I understand. That makes that makes sense. Um let me start with this. So this spreadsheet called the blockchain at the bank of Denver that we were talking about before, it is centralized. The spreadsheet is centralized there. There's a group of people at the bank of Denver who keep track of that spreadsheet. Nobody at any other banks really gets to keep track of it. The individual account holders, they don't really keep track of it. The bank will tell you how much money you have. The power is centralized in their hands. Now that rubs some people the wrong way including the creators of Bitcoin. So they wanted to create a spreadsheet that was decentralized. And that's why you hear this term floating around the cryptocurrency space a lot, decentralization. So instead of thinking of it like an Excel spreadsheet where you have one copy on your hard drive and that's it, think of the blockchain like Google Sheets where a million people can be in it at once or at least a million people have their own copy of it. So when you want to add a new block onto the end of the blockchain. When we transact Bitcoin and we need to record that on the blockchain, how do we do it? And the way we do it in the Bitcoin world is we kind of announce to the, the entire Google Sheet ecosystem and we say, hey, everybody, we just, I just sold some Bitcoin to Michelle. We just made that transaction. Can you all please record it on your sheets now? Oh, okay. And the process of doing that recording a few complicated things happen in there, but the process of that recording is where the energy is spent. And the process of that recording is also where the crypto prefix comes into play. Because what we need to do amongst our separate instances of the spreadsheet, which some people call nodes, other people call them miners. So each person who has a copy of the spreadsheet, they need to verify this complex uh, code, for lack of a better term, or puzzle that kind of uh, gives some proof that the transaction that we're adding is legitimate. We don't want to just add transactions onto the spreadsheet willy-nilly. We need to make sure it's real. That's how we really have faith in the system. We need to make sure the transactions are real. So when I ask my computer to verify a transaction, to add it onto the end of the spreadsheet, which simultaneously means solving a semi-complex math problem, my computer kind of needs to whir its GPU to life and spend some real electrical energy doing that work. And when I multiply that by a million computers around the world, all of a sudden it takes some serious energy to maintain this thing. So even though it's decentralized, the servers exist in, in one space because I'm thinking of some randos, they're randos to me, who are somewhere in the U.S., there was like a video of them a couple weeks ago and they're like, here's where we maintain our Bitcoin or, or whatever yeah. crypto that they were maintaining. Mm -hmm. And it was this huge facility. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they were 20 yep. and they were just 
like smiling. And I thought that that's alarming. <laughs> and I, how, I, how did you even get the, the permission to run something like this? <laughs> they didn't need it. They didn't need the permission. That's that a, a Bitcoin proponent would tell you that's one of the benefits of Bitcoin. You don't need anyone's permission to download your own version of the blockchain, which is what those 20 year olds did. And it's also what you and I could do if we wanted to, Michelle, on our own computers. I don't want to commit like that. I know. Oh, I hear you. (laughs) I I don't either. I don't either. And I don't, I haven't, and I don't plan on it, but we could, if we wanted to. And now some of you might be asking, well, if, if Jesse and Michelle can download a copy of the blockchain to their own MacBooks and become a, a miner or someone who maintains their own node of the spreadsheet of the blockchain. Why do those kids need racks and racks of servers to do it? Yes. The reason why is that every time we want to add a transaction onto the end of the blockchain and a million people all at once are trying to make sure that that uh, transaction is real, those million people are actually racing. It's not necessarily a cooperation. They are racing to be the first one to solve that little mathematical puzzle that I was talking about. And if they get there first, the blockchain, or I'm sorry, the Bitcoin uh, software rewards that person with their own little bounty of Bitcoin that they get to keep for themselves. So everybody on the, every miner, every node, everyone maintaining the Google sheet has this motivation to try to verify the transactions correctly and to do so quickly. Because if they do, they get rewarded with a little bit of Bitcoin, which we all know right now is worth quite a lot. So the Bitcoin software was written with these cool incentives built into it that would make sure it's decentralized, but that would also make sure that the transactions are legitimate and verified, and that would provide a monetary incentive to people to act as the verifiers in the system. Okay, so I'm going to ask this question, and I'm almost giggling as I... I'm about to say it, but what is Bitcoin exactly and where can I spend it? Yep. Okay. Oh, or no, no, not even. What is Bitcoin and how can I buy it? What is even the process of getting a Bitcoin into my digital wallet? Because there's a whole process for even accessing this. And I think mm-hmm. that is, you know, I get this idea of we have a piece of paper because I grew up with it. And we've decided that the paper has a value or quarters have a value that's 25 cents or your credit card has a value that the lender has given the card. But I think Bitcoin still feels very dystopian and in the future for me, even though the future is now. And so for someone who vaguely gets it, walk me through, like, how do I, like, what, why am I getting that? Like, how am I getting this? Why? And where am I even spending it? All good questions. All great questions. They're very big questions. I'll try to go through them one by one. And if I, if I miss one, let me know and I'll come back to it. Okay. Uh, So the question, one of the last questions you asked was where can you spend it? And the answer right now is not in a ton of places. Some online merchants accept it. We know Tesla famously accepts it, or at least they did until a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> um, there aren't a ton of place that, places that accept it right now as currency. And it's debatable whether places will start adopting it as currency. If they don't adopt it as currency in the long run, I have no idea why it would maintain any value. Some Bitcoin proponents compare it to gold And they say that it'll maintain value the way gold maintains value. I can't go to my local grocery store and spend, give them a gold nugget, but you better, (laughs) right. But you better, it's not currency in that way, but you better believe that a golden nugget has scarcity and has demand because people can use it for other things. And therefore it has some value. So right now you can't spend Bitcoin in many places in the long run. You might be able to, we will see. You also asked Michelle, how can you get your hands on it? Is that right? Exactly. Like, how do I purchase a Bitcoin? Mm -hmm. So right now, the main way that you can do that is through an exchange, which is similar to a a stock exchange, if you want to think of it that way. How can you get your hands on Ford stock right now? Well, we missed the initial public offering, whenever that was. 
So right now, Ford stock is just floating around the stock market. Some private individuals have it, some pension funds have it. And where do they trade? They do so at the exchange, at the public market. So there are exchanges for Bitcoin, and there have been for a number of years. One of the more famous ones right now is called Coinbase. They just went public as a, a publicly traded company. So you could invest in their stock if you wanted to. But you can also just go onto the Coinbase website, start an account there, and exchange your U.S. dollars for Bitcoin. How does that I feel like? No, yeah. that's no, it's really good. And that's the most simple explanation. And that's what I was looking for. I think what I'm curious about is why is Bitcoin and Dogecoin and Ethereum, why are these alternative ways of uh, or alternative currencies, these cryptocurrencies, so appealing, appealing to people? And why is this something that sh should be on people's radars? Like what about crypto is so enticing to people? Why is this a thing? Mm -hmm. Good question. I'm going to answer this as if I were a Bitcoin bull. Okay. Because I do want to, you know, I mentioned it earlier, like 98% of my investing money is in index funds. You know, I try to be a good little personal finance boy. I've got my emergency fund in the bank. That's cash, American dollars. I've got my investments in my Roth IRA and my 401k. That's all in index funds, low fee index funds. And then with like 2% of my money, I have it in goofy little things like trading cards and Bitcoin, <laughs> okay. right? So this tiny little fraction, why? Well, because if that 2% got cut in half tomorrow, I wouldn't be too sad about it because I know everything else is safe. But some people who are really big Bitcoin proponents and they might have half their investment in Bitcoin, how would they defend that stance? Well, there are a couple ways they would do it. One of them is to say, listen, look at the U.S. monetary system. Mm -hmm. We are just printing money out of thin air, which is what the Federal Reserve and the U.S. Treasury do. They, they snap their fingers. They create money to stimulate the economy, which deflates our, the value of our money, right? We're, it's in the news right now. Inflation has been pretty high uh, these last couple months. The CPI, the Consumer Price Index, is 5% higher this May 2021 than it was last May, which means your dollars that have been sitting in your bank account over the last year, they've lost about 5% of their value. Well, with Bitcoin, there's a finite cap on the number of Bitcoin that will ever exist. That finite cap was written into the software when it was first created back in 2008, I think. Why, why was it written into the software? Because the founders of Bitcoin, who by the way, <laughs> is a uh, it's still like a secret. Nobody knows who this guy is. We can talk about that if you want to. I do want to talk okay. about that. <laughs> the founder of Bitcoin said, listen, the current monetary systems have this huge flaw, which is that the centralized government is allowed to print more on a whim and devalue what the individuals have. So I'm not going to let that happen with my system. I'm going to put a finite cap on the number of Bitcoin that can ever exist. It so is what, funny. What's the what's yep. the cap? Do we know what that cap? Yeah, we do. We do. It's about 21 million Bitcoin. And I think, and this is where I'm like, I, you know, I'm sure it's very easy to Google it. Something like 18 or 19 million of them have been mined as of right now. That the curve of Bitcoin mining um is it's like steep up front and then it kind of flattens out. And we're at that point where we're flattened out. And I think it's something like for the next hundred or so years, assuming this thing really stays around, they're going to like slowly inject more Bitcoin into the system, which is done through mining, which I talked about before. Mining is synonymous with the act of verifying someone else's transaction, that race to solve the puzzle. So as, as miners verify transactions, they get rewarded with a little bit more Bitcoin. And those rewards are slowly decreasing over time until the point where way out in the future, there won't be any rewards left anymore. There will be no more Bitcoin injected into the system. Deep breath. I, I actually that, just checked and it says there's 18.7 million Bitcoins that have already been mined. Ooh, lucky guess. 
<laughs> Eight. That sounds that sounds right. Yeah, eighteen or nineteen million. That's perfect. I googled 2.7. it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I knew it was out there. And actually, that page, Michelle, whatever you're looking at, uh-huh. it probably tells you also like what date in the future we think will that the Bitcoin will will cease to be printing any more Bitcoin. Oh, it, it might tell you that, or that's an easy Google too. It's it's somewhere out in the twenty one hundreds, I think. I'm totally um, checking that. And after that point, the rewards for the miners will be essentially bounties provided by the people doing their transactions. So just like you pay a credit card fee or the, the store where you buy your food uh-huh. pays a fee to the credit card uh, vendor to Visa, there'll be something similar out in the future. And I think it's already actually part of the system right now, which is when you and I make a trade and I send you Bitcoin, I have to put up a tiny little fraction as a bounty to say, all right, everybody, this is my fee for transacting and all those fees get aggregated and whoever the miner is that races to solve that puzzle first gets that fee as an extra reward. Okay, so it does say when uh, the estimated date is for the last Mm -hmm. Bitcoin to be mined and it's 1,053 days from now, 10 hours and 26 minutes or March 16th, 2024 which will be an exciting year for oh. many reasons. Oh, so wow. that's really soon. That is really soon. I um, apologize. I had a, that fact objectively wrong. I thought it was way out in the future. Are you going to buy some um, more now? <laughs> hey, uh, probably not, but. Uh... <laughs> so I have a couple of questions. First one is, if I want to buy a Bitcoin, do I just buy two and call it a day or, or fractions of two and call it a day? Because I think they're quite expensive now. And 15 years from now, I'm like, holy crap, my fraction of Bitcoin is the equivalent of $100,000. Let me get rid of it. How? What happens next? To answer the first question, most likely you're going to be buying fractions of Bitcoins. Okay. Um, unlike, so let's see with dollars, we divide our dollars into hundredths and we call them pennies, right? With Bitcoin, they divide each Bitcoin into millionths and they call them Satoshis Oh, <laughs> and named after that, that mysterious founder who we talked about before his pseudonym, or maybe his real name, no one really knows is Satoshi Nakamoto. So they named the pennies of the system after him, Satoshis. And you would most likely be buying, right, a tenth of a Bitcoin, a hundredth of a Bitcoin. Unless you, you know, if you have whatever it is, $40,000 as of this recording to buy a whole Bitcoin, more power to you. That's out of my price range. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The second question was, right, what do you do with them? Or almost the question almost borders on, you know, is it an investment? Is it investment grade? Do you just sit uh, on it and wait? Yeah. And and something I like to talk about, if I may, I'm going to start by talking about stocks for 30 seconds, okay. and then I'm going to talk about gold, and then we'll come back to Bitcoin. Okay. So with stocks, you go out and you buy Ford Motor Company stock, and you have this little piece of paper sitting on your table, and every three months or six months, Ford is going to send you a little check in the mail for a couple percent of what that stock is worth, and that check is a dividend. Stocks are cash flow producing assets. The company that the stock represents will pay you because you are an owner of the company and you get a share of the profits of the company. And that share is called dividends. So it gives you income, even as it's just sitting there on your desk, you get income from a stock. Now let's go to gold. You buy a golden nugget and you set it on your desk. No dividends come in from that gold. Five, 10 years can go by and you want to go see if you can make a profit off that gold, you have to hope that the market has a higher demand for that gold, that the price of gold has moved up and that you're going to sell it at a profit. There's no intrinsic cash flow coming from the gold. So that's a big difference between gold and stocks. And Bitcoin is a lot like that gold where you can buy it today at $40,000 per Bitcoin. And if you want to treat it like an investment and you want to make money off of it, You have to hope in the future, the price goes up. That's it. There's no check coming in the mail of a little bit of profit, of a little bit of dividends, the way it does with the stock. Now, 
if you're really into Bitcoin and you really think it's going to change the world, you might never sell because what you're saying is, well, in 20 years, I'm going to be buying everything in my life with Bitcoin. Bitcoin is going to be the currency that I'm going to be using. And once that adoption level occurs, Bitcoin is going to be in such high demand that its true value is going to be huge. You know, one Bitcoin might fund someone for most of their life for all you we know. I, I don't know the exact prediction that they're making, but what some people are saying is Bitcoin is going to be the dominant currency in the world. And therefore you have to take the entire value of everything in the world and distribute it amongst these 21 million Bitcoin, which means each Bitcoin is going to be worth a ton, right? There's 6 billion people and 21 million Bitcoin. So if everybody on earth is using Bitcoin, well, a tenth of a Bitcoin might make someone filthy rich. Does that kind of make sense? That that it math? does, and but it, it also made me go down a weird dystopian headspace. Yeah, yeah. For so many reasons, and I think the thing that I'm curious about is, you know, you have these platforms to make these purchases, but I feel like on a certain level, it's inherently inaccessible just because there's a level of education that has to go behind it to even understand the concepts of this. You know what I mean? And and so you you talk about this future world where there is the potential for people to, to be constantly trading in this form of currency. But if only people who get this get in between now and 2024, are the only people to trade in this currency, what does that mean for the rest of the people? And so I, I, I wonder about this because I do think that there is something to be said about the fragility of, of currencies. I have friends from Venezuela, actually. Mm-hmm. And that's a really good example of a place where inflation is so through the roof that they carry equivalent wheelbarrows of cash. And so I feel like in that situation, Bitcoin probably could work very well, a cryptocurrency, because you don't have to carry a a wheelbarrow to to purchase a, a, you know, bread, but you would need something to facilitate the exchange that the purchase. And so I guess what I'm trying to figure out is, so I've gone on an exchange, I've made my itty bitty purchase. How do I protect my crypto from me? And And I'm thinking about that guy with the $250 million, but he can't open his wallet. And what does a crypto wallet look like? Yeah, great question. So the guy who, if, if I'm thinking about the right story, it's the same a guy, guy in like Wales, right? He's in yes. the UK and he was storing his Bitcoin. And what, what that really means is that he had a password to his Bitcoin wallet built into for lack of a better term, a hard drive. So you can think about it as hardware sitting on your desk, computer hardware, similar to a hard drive. And he would need to plug that hard drive into a computer to give it access to the internet. It would sync up with the blockchain and kind of announce the blockchain, you know, hey, I'm here. This wallet's back and look at me. I've got 7,500 Bitcoin on me. So I'm ready to transact. Or he could just unplug it from his computer, leave it on his desk, and it would sit there in quote unquote cold storage. That's what they call it. He lost, he he threw out his hard drive. And with it, he threw out the password that was embedded on the hard drive. And so if you look on the blockchain right now, it still says Davy from Wales's wallet has 7,500 Bitcoin. It's still there on the blockchain. It's recorded in history. You can see it. But the problem is he doesn't have the password to prove to every other computer on earth that he owns that wallet. And that's the issue. With a bank, you could get around that issue pretty easily. Bring me your you know, social security card and birth certificate. We'll get you figured out, Davey. But uh, with, the, <laughs> with, the, with the decentralized system that they've produced, you can't get that figured out. Okay, and that's a problem. I talk about it on the best interest, Michelle. I've had people on my podcast who are big Bitcoin bulls. And I'd say, I ask them, how are you going to convince my aunt Ethel that she needs to buy her groceries in Bitcoin? Right. And they have some reasonable answers. And I'll parrot those answers back to you and your listeners right now. 
One of them is, well, how did you convince Aunt Ethel to use the credit card? She figured it out eventually. There's no cash in her hand. She's not transacting in $20 bills necessarily. A lot of people use credit cards and they say that with Bitcoin and with other cryptocurrencies, there will be a credit card like thing. Maybe it's a credit card. Maybe it's just a little, uh, it's like Apple Pay with your phone. Just, you know, boop, set it on the cash register and, and it makes the transaction for you. A lot of apps right now are starting to act as middlemen to store your Bitcoin for you. I think the cash app does it, uh, which is by the Twitter guys, right? Oh. Square, is it Square? Square. Jack Dorsey owns Square is the CEO oh. of Square and they make the cash app. I think I'm he, getting he my looks like right there. the guy who would do that, but that's a yeah. conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so What's interesting there, though, is so there now there's this middleman who, who comes in the middle and says, hey, we'll take care of all the complicated stuff for you. To you, it's just like a credit card or Apple Pay, mm. but you're using Bitcoin. And people really like that, right? Because it makes people like you and me say, OK, I've got a little layer of security. I'm not going to get effed hard right. by losing my hard drive like Davey from Wales. But the bit, the hardcore Bitcoin and I don't want to make this political, but it is a libertarian point of view. This decentralized individual uh, uh, thought behind Bitcoin. I don't want no government touching my money. I want uh. it decentralized. The hardcore Bitcoin people, they say, screw Coinbase, screw Square. I don't want a middleman holding my account for me. I traded one middleman, Uncle Sam, the government, for another middleman, Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Square. I don't want that. So what they do, they'll have a thumb drive or a hard drive or something like that, that they personally own that has their, their wallet on it. And by that, I mean, you know, it's the hardware that has a password built into it with Coinbase. I log into it just like my bank account and they have all the crypto hardware on their end. To me, it looks just like any other bank. So you don't use something like I'm on Amazon right now like a Ledger Nano S, the best crypto hardware wallet, or it looks like a thumb drive kind of situation. So instead you just deal with the platform and you've made that determination that that's a better fit for you. Yeah. Well, actually, let me be transparent. I, I don't, I don't use the Ledger Nano S best hard drive on Amazon. I don't use that one. <laughs> I also don't use, uh, I don't use Coinbase actually. So I, I've taken a slightly different route, which I don't know. I'm still kind of seeing how it plays out. There are a few companies on Wall Street who are trying to form Bitcoin mutual funds and they've done oh. so successfully. And now what people are saying is the next generation that hasn't quite gotten here yet is a Bitcoin ETF exchange traded fund. Huh. So there are mutual funds that at the end of every day, they will look at the value of Bitcoin and they'll look at how much Bitcoin they own in the fund. And they will then look at their uh, mutual fund owners and say, hey, everybody, today the fund's worth $21. Do you want to buy it? Buy it. Do you want to sell it? Sell it. It's just like any other mutual fund out there. So what I did was I invested a small percentage of my portfolio in one of those Bitcoin mutual funds that I can buy through Fidelity. I monitor through Fidelity. It's where oh. my 401k and my Roth IRA are. So I just log into Fidelity and I see everything right there. So again, Fidelity and this fund, which is called the Osprey Bitcoin Fund. If you're a, if you're a ticker person, OBTC, you can just look it up right now and you can see that they're acting as the middleman. Middle they, uh, they own the Bitcoin, not me. I own a piece of their fund. El Salvador just recognized Bitcoin as a legal form of currency, which I find very intriguing as a person who used to watch Miami Vice obsessively. I, I feel like there's a lot going on with that choice. Do you sense that just in your own wanderings on the net researching this? Because I feel like you will be constantly researching this area of finance for a while because it's just so new. We're in the wild west of crypto. What are your thoughts about El Salvador doing this and other countries 
slowly but surely saying, hey, this is a thing that we're doing. Just I'm curious about your thoughts. Mm -hmm. There's two interesting ways that I could look at it, Michelle, and, and maybe I'm not the only one. There's an optimist's view, and then there's probably a pessimist's view as well. So the optimistic view is something that Bitcoin proponents have been saying for years now, which is, well, we need to get stores to accept it. And then maybe one day people on Wall Street will start accepting it. Banks will start accepting it and investing in it. We'll have something like a mutual fund. Okay, those have all come true. Now, one of their white whales, if you will, or one of the big you know, things that they were hoping for is we'll see countries start to adopt it and accept it as their national currency or as an accepted currency by the government. Because as soon as a government starts collecting taxes in something, that thing gains value. At the end of the day, that's why the U.S. dollar has value. It's because at the end of the year, we can all pay our taxes and the U.S. government says, all right, you're free for another year. Go, go about your lives. Okay. And, and then we all understand that $20 bill has value. So you and I trust that money has value. We know that we can pay our taxes in it. That's why it works for us. Same thing might be happening in El Salvador right now. They might be the first ones among many over the next few decades, the first country to say, we accept Bitcoin. You can use it in society if you want to. You can pay your taxes to us at the end of the year. And Bitcoin proponents look at that and say, yes, that is the adoption that will eventually lead to this becoming a legitimate currency all over the world. So that's the optimistic point of view. The pessimistic point of view is that what's going on right now is something of a self-fulfilling prophecy and that El Salvador's adoption is more of an act of desperation than anything else. Mm. So the prophecy is, well, just like I said, for years, Bitcoin proponents have been saying, this is big. We need a country to adopt it. And once we see that adoption start, the dominoes are going to start to fall and it's going to be huge. So if you're a country not saying that El Salvador's back is against the wall. To be honest with you, I really don't know much about the economy of El Salvador whatsoever. But you could see yourself as a country saying, well, we're, we're kind of struggling along right now. And hey, what if Bitcoin makes it big? And what if, what if we were the first ones to adopt it? It could be like you know buying that lotto ticket. And if it scratches true for you, you just became a millionaire. And so that's the pessimistic point of view is, you know, does El Salvador really believe what they're doing right now? Or are they just jumping on the bandwagon? And is everybody else just jumping on the bandwagon? And is this thing just a bubble that continues to inflate and might end up bursting? I want to broaden this conversation a little bit mm -hmm. and just talk crypto in general. So okay. right now we're seeing other cryptocurrencies being created. I could create the crypto of Michelle, but I feel like I'd have to commit too much and that'd be a lot of stress in my life. And so there are things like Ethereum and, and you know, other products. That founder, by the way, is odd, but that's another question. That's another conversation. That's my own personal view of that founder. <laughs> I'm curious about your, how shall I say this? What do you think when you're looking at these other cryptocurrencies being created out there? Why should I choose one over the other? Mm -hmm. So there are a bunch of what people tend to call altcoins, alternative coins. And we'll get into a second what has been happening recently, which are people are producing things that are, instead of being called altcoins, are called shit coins, meme coins, scam coins. And which <laughs> don't have a great connotation, do they? Yeah. Altcoins, though, you mentioned Ethereum and its founder, um, Vitalik Buterin. Mm -hmm. He is a quirky guy, right? He comes across as extremely intelligent and extremely dedicated to his cause. And he's got a team of computer programmers working with him, trying to make Ethereum a legitimate coin, just like Bitcoin. Well, what I should, the way. <laughs> I'm not saying Bitcoin is legitimate, but what I am saying is that Bitcoin has a level of adoption that is, exceeds any other cryptocurrency, and Ethereum is right on its heels. And from the outsider looking in, when I see Vitalik talk, I think to myself, you know what? He really believes in what he's doing, and that has some value to it. I have no idea if it's going to work. It might still be a bubble that never pans out, but... He is really trying, and I think his 
heart and mind are in the right place. But that doesn't mean that every cryptocurrency or every altcoin has that. And it's not even close. I mean, we, we know for sure, take Dogecoin, for example, that's mm-hmm. been in the news like crazy recently. The guys who created that like five or six years ago, they admit like, yeah, it took me like two hours. I was, you know, just did it for fun. I thought cryptocurrency was the stupidest thing. So I took this meme of a funny looking dog, which is called the Doge meme. And I named a cryptocurrency after it because I just thought the whole thing was stupid. And now you have people saying like, well, Elon Musk likes it. So it's got to be worth something. And you just have to zoom out a little bit and be like, everybody, like, this is craziness. This is craziness. It's, it's just, it reeks of, you know, tulip mania. It, it reeks, right. It reeks of a bubble that is not based on anything logical. And, and once we're on the other side of it, everyone's going to look back in hindsight and be like, whoa, I drank way too much Kool-Aid there. So that's, you don't, you don't want a Doge coin with that cute little dog on it. <laughs> it's just, Jesse. you know, I know, <laughs> but, and, and, and what it should do, Michelle, I think is it, it should make everybody pause in general mm. and just say, well, considering that we have things called a Doge coin, which was made by people as a joke and it's now worth, you know, it's like uh, multiplied in value by something like a hundred X this year. And we have people coming out with new coins with names like tulip coin and scam coin. Wow. And that they're, they're blowing up in value. And you have to ask yourself, why are they blowing up in value? Well, it's because people realize that there's a greater fools theory going on here. Greater fools theory is the theory that something goes up in value so long as the buyers believe that there's a greater fool coming along who will buy it at a higher price. And those kinds of, uh, of uh, assets, they always end up in bubbles. Mm. That, that is a bubble in the making that will burst once that greater fool decides not to buy. And he says, nah, I'm good. The price is too high. And then everybody races for the exit and the price just tanks. And that's how a bubble bursts. So with Dogecoin, are you telling me that Aunt Ethel someday is going to buy her groceries in Dogecoin? Some people right now say yes. And when I hear that, I think, okay, we are living in a virtual reality. This, this is made, <laughs> this is made My believe. mom won't even sign up for social media. Right, right. She, she, yeah. re- she will never, ever do it. She hates it. As my, that's actually funny. Your your mom should meet my parents because they're she they're off social. Hates yep. it. They're off social media too. I you know, they're figuring out what podcasts are, and uh, yeah, I mean, if my dad ever had to go to the local tractor supply and buy something with Dogecoin, he he, you know, I just can't imagine it. It's kind of like you know when pigs will fly. So, there are a lot of alternative coins out there, Michelle, that. Not only are the coins themselves obviously like frauds and, and bullshit, but they're a stain on the entire system because it should make you zoom out a little bit and say like, wait a second, if it's this easy to make a fraud here, how do I know that Bitcoin is real and has legitimacy behind it? Couldn't it have just been the original fraud? Mm. So it is a tenuous, curious, scary space in that way. I feel like I want to end on that note, but because it was so good, but I do have a question about our speculation around the stability of the U.S. dollar or other countries' dollars and this interest in an alternative way of, of commerce, if you will. Um, and, and part of why I'm thinking about this in terms of this this conversation is right now how we money is so different right i have a checkbook that i never touch and i think in the last five years i've written four checks not because i wanted to but because the person wanting money from me that that was the option right the majority of my financial transactions now happen digitally, even though I do like cash money, like I like dollars, but the majority of what I do happens online. It's, it's, it's not a tangible thing that I'm touching. 
And so on the one hand, I totally see why this is appealing to so many people because we're already in this mind mindset shift. But on the other hand, I'm like, does this speak to a greater concern that we should all be thinking about, which is the stability of our, our world governments and commerce and, and currency. And I guess what I'm trying to say is what is appealing? What is, what is, um, how do I put this? What is the concern that people have that is driving them to a Bitcoin? It's a good question. And I think you you hit on a couple potential answers in as you were kind of finding your way to that to that question, Michelle, which is for some people it is a lack of trust in centralized governments. I don't want Uncle Sam touching my money. So I'm going to buy something that he can't touch, supposedly. <laughs> Again, you know, there's there are a lot of people out there who buy Bitcoin, but don't necessarily understand what's going on behind the scenes. But they have the belief that this decentralized currency will give them some semblance of freedom from centralized governments. You are also hinting at some questions there about, you know, should we be worried about the stabilization, you know, how stable governments are? Um, that is a really tough question for me to answer. I have my own personal thoughts. I wouldn't right. necessarily put any, any sort of credence behind them as, as any sort of expertise. Um, now, <laughs> this is going to sound bad. But at the end of the day, the U.S. government, maybe they will start collecting Bitcoin. Maybe they'll hop on the train and they'll say, yeah, we're on board. Now pay your taxes in Bitcoin. We don't care. Yeah, it's all the yeah. same to us. They'll mm -hmm. still collect their taxes. So that's one thing. Now, how do governments get their power? Well, yeah, it, it can be through the monetary system. Absolutely. Through collecting taxes. Absolutely. Uh, I hate to say it this way and, and make people feel bad, but governments tend to have monopolies on violence. That's one of the, the signatures of a government is they say, you cannot be violent to one another. It is against the law. But if you start breaking the law and it's in the best interest for us to be violent on you as the government, we can. So governments tend to have monopolies on violence. Bitcoin, unless I misunderstand something, probably isn't going to change that. As in, you know, the U.S. government might still say, hey, everybody, you know, we are still in charge here. Um, I don't know. And, and that's at least me like looking five or 10 years in the future. I don't see how that necessarily changes due to cryptocurrency in the long run, something like, you know, Orwellian might happen dystopian, like you were talking about <laughs> earlier, that, yeah. that does change things. And, you know, some guy out there who has all the Bitcoin in the world, he says, you know, I am the captain now. Satoshi shows up. Satoshi comes back. Oh my gosh. It's it's going to be a Hollywood movie. It's going to be the Bible coming true all right. at once. And I'll tell you what, it is funny. I mean, I just kind of made that this connection in my head that some people do treat Bitcoin. It, it almost is a cult in some ways or a religion in some ways. And Satoshi is their, their oh, icon, yeah. their icon, right? I'm kind of digressing a little bit, Michelle. Did I, did I feel like I answered that question about stability of governments? You did. I mean, it it's a tricky conversation mm -hmm. because by the nature of this species, this money, it is very easy to go down a crazy road. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, you know Definitely. what I mean? And, and I wanted to have a very serious conversation about it kind of with that in mind because I do worry even about how I think about it like I don't want to have the crazy thoughts when I'm talking about this or thinking about this I want to I want to look at it in an unemotional way so that I can make decisions as to whether or not this is something I might be curious about having in a portfolio if you will I almost think that it, it's a fun, crazy thing to be involved in just to see how it is. But at the same time, I think about it also like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And so maybe, you know, you dabble and then you just keep it to yourself. It's <laughs> not a bad idea. All right. It's, I've certainly felt strange at times, um, knowing what I know 
and being a little bit invested in it too. Right. Um, simply because, can I tell you a funny story? And it's up to you whether you Please. include it in the podcast. No, no, I totally I recently, will. <laughs> I was recently in San Diego on vacation. My girlfriend and I went out to California. We went out one night with with a few friends and we come back and we were, we were staying at their place. And, you know, we got back at maybe 2 a.m. And then, you know, we were upstairs kind of getting ready for bed. My toothbrush is in my mouth. And I hear people talking downstairs, like loudly, people loudly talking. And what had happened was our host had invited some of his buddies over. And he's like, yeah, you know, these guys are out kind of, they're going pretty hard tonight. They just asked me if they could come over. I'm not, I'm not sure if I should let them come over, but okay, I'll, I'll let them come over. So these four guys show up at the house at like 2.30. They are in a fun mood. They're still, they're still partying. And what are they talking about? They're talking about Doge and they're talking about Bitcoin and they're talking about Shiba Inu. They're talking about like these random altcoins that we were talking about before loudly. And they're arguing about them and, and saying how stupid it is to be invested in that, but how smart it is to be invested in this. And I walked downstairs because I thought like, oh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll chat with these guys about Bitcoin. And what I realized is it's really hard to sound like you know what you're talking about when you're talking about cryptocurrency. Like 99% of the people, including five for five of the guys in that conversation, <laughs> sounded like idiots. <laughs> sounded just uninformed and sounded like they just sounded like too much like zealots. It was too emotional. They didn't really have their facts straight. It was all subjective feelings. It was very little objective facts. And so I think going back to what you said, Michelle, like it is really important to try to have objective conversations about this if we plan on taking it seriously, mm. but it's just hard to do right now. You know? Yeah. I mean, that that's it. That's it. So I think we did a, a, a pretty good job of trying to stay with the facts here though you you kept me on the straight and narrow no crazy rants uh, i i feel very good about actually you were wonderful i feel like i really understood what you were explaining i understand bitcoin a hell of a lot more than i did before this conversation and i appreciate that you didn't talk down to me or the listeners because you're not a douche <laughs> So um, high school nickname. <laughs> I and so I think you were the perfect person to have this conversation and, and hear me seriously because it is something that I, I did feel like, am I just dumb or am I getting old? Like what why is it what is what is this whole thing? And then I thought, well, I've got years of Star Trek behind me. So I feel like I can really, you know, embrace this, but I just need someone to explain it. So I get it. <laughs> here's, all, here's all you need to know, Michelle. Live long and prosper. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so with that in mind, Jesse, if you could share how we can follow you, how we can listen to your show, that would be awesome. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I would love to have uh, some people come over and check out The Best Interest, which you can find on the internet at bestinterest.blog. Just type that in. You'll come to my landing page and it'll be really easy to navigate to the blog itself where I do all my writing. I write once a week, a new article every week, or you can navigate to the podcast, a new episode every week. Some interviews like this, sometimes it's just monologues about Star Trek and Bitcoin. And uh, if you're actually, if you're a financial advisor, I do also have a, a newsletter service where I will write your monthly or weekly newsletter for your clients. And that's all at bestinterest.blog. Or you can just shoot me a tweet on Twitter, where my account is at best interest underscore JC. Awesome. Thank you so much. You are welcome. This was a lot of fun. I was going to ask you about NFTs, but I felt like that was just, that's a whole different episode, mm -hmm. but I am curious. Do you, are you intrigued by them? Like, do you, do you get what an NFT is? Like, is that a thing that you are even focused on? Yeah. So I I'm, I'm intrigued by them written a couple articles about them one for budgets are sexy oh okay and okay. i'm trying to think where the other one was this is bad when you like kind of forget who you wrote for and where, yeah, where but you wrote still. but yeah so, so i'm 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 not as familiar with them as i am with bitcoin i do think as as weird it is to explain bitcoin to people to get them to grasp it i think with nft that it's even harder because i mean what you're selling someone is a little a little contract that essentially says Michelle owns this piece of digital art 
or Michelle owns this GIF. And it doesn't mean that you have the GIF locked away in your house like you would with a real piece of artwork. Anyone on the internet can go see it. So what does it matter if Michelle owns it? That's Anyone's the part allowed. I don't get. Exactly. And that's the part that nobody gets. And again, like, why I, the hell would that, you know, the dumpster girl, like that little creepy girl, you know, there's uh, a meme of a little girl with the, like the house on fire behind her. Yes. Like, oh yeah. 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 And yeah, her yeah. NFT, that NFT was like $700,000. Mm-hmm. I'm like, who the hell is going to buy something that all of us can access? That makes no I sense. Know. I know. And, and here's the, I, I, one thing I do like about this is, is being able to basically Google that question and be like, okay, what do the bulls say? Because people are buying them. What's their rationale? And with the NFT bulls, they say, okay, Michelle, there's one Mona Lisa. It's sitting in the Louvre in France. But does that stop people from buying $30 posters of the Mona Lisa? No. They, still, they buy these posters. They buy all these recreations of it. But everybody knows where the real one is. And everybody knows that the real one has all the value to it. And so they say it's the same thing with NFTs. Who cares if you can copy the dumpster girl meme? Someone out there owns the original and that gives them status. That makes them feel cool. It's just like normal art, right? Why would you buy art and hang it up in your room, in your in your house? I don't know. It makes you feel cool. You walk by it once a day and you say, shit, that's mine. <laughs>